You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For The Now media production. Welcome back to Null and Void Sports Podcast. This is our eighth episode. Thank you so much for the positive feedback on our efforts so far. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. I tell you what, Andy, last weekend there was so much going on in sport again. It just keeps coming at us, doesn't it? And of course, headlined by England's 4-0 hammering you know, of Ukraine. It's uh, just lifted everybody, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you get the feeling around the nation when the national team are doing well in a tournament. I mean, I think it's because it, it happens so rarely for England that actually when it does happen, people can enjoy it. Uh, you know, great result for, for England. Um, I love the way that Gareth Southgate, though, is keeping their feet well on the ground. He's not getting carried away, even though everywhere I look on social media, um, I just keep seeing the line, it's coming home. Well, uh, you know, we've got two games yet, hopefully, to see two, that. Two two big games. So let's not get carried away with self. And particularly, let's not talk too much about that now, because we've got a guest who's a f- uh, football expert and doing Euros. And later, Billy Carr is going to be coming back and talking about Euros. Yeah, so, our man at the Euros. Well, our man at the Euros, yeah. Now, the other thing clearly to be talking about, I would say anyway, is Wimbledon, week one. Uh, I was saying last week that a number before the start that a number of injuries to the female uh, top seeds was going to provide opportunities for some other names to come into it. I wasn't actually thinking at that point of the 333rd seed in the world, uh, Emma Ragnarno. Uh, easy for I, you to say. <laughs> easy for me to say. Rajikano, beg your pardon. 18 years old and British. Now, interestingly, the British comes from a Romanian dad, a Chinese mum, and she was born in Canada. I think we claim her, definitely. <laughs> it, it's the, um, the Andy Murray thing again, that um, if she's doing well, she'll be English or British, and if not, then she'll be of whatever other nationality. Same as Andy Murray, when he was winning, he was British. <laughs> and when he was losing, all the press said he was Scottish. So, uh... Well, as it happens, we're recording this earlier this week on a Monday night. And while we're recording this, she'll be actually playing in the fourth round. And, and clearly, regardless of what happens there, I think she looks a really special talent. Yeah. You know, most 18-year-olds look as if they've got one or two good things going, but she's got a complete game there. And regardless of the result tonight, I think she's really lifted again, lifted people's spirits. And she seems to have a really nice personality. She smiles easily. I know that might sound obvious, but a lot of them don't. What I liked as well, she didn't seem overawed. I think her third round game was her first game ever on one of the show courts, as they call them at Wimbledon, one of the main courts. She didn't look out of place there. She sort of took it all in as she walked on. And then as soon as she crossed the whitewash and served up, she she sat playing really well and looked fantastic. And I really like the way that she, the air she's got about her. I loved in the press conference afterwards that she said, my mum and dad told me that I, you know, was packing too much kit. So it looks like I'm going to have some laundry to do this weekend. As her yeah. way of saying, I'm into the, the second week. So I think hopefully, fingers crossed, she's got a really 
good air about her. And it just shows again, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the uh, maybe some of the, the older crowd doing well, the, you know, the Phil Mickelson's, the Mark Cavendish's. And now suddenly this week, we're talking about England's young guns, the Lions in, um, in the Euros. And now, um, you know, this 18-year-old tennis player, I think it's great to see that range of talent. You know, we've got the old, older players coming back and doing well. Um, unfortunately, I think for poor old Andy Murray, I think, you know, just injury has taken its toll on him. He, he put up a really good fight in his game. But, you know, he's now talking about, is that it for him? And I think that'd be a real shame for him if it is. But I think, you know, it just shows that time waits for no one. And, you know, here we are talking about the next young British talent coming through. Yeah, and it's it, it will be an exciting week. Cameron Norris definitely worthy of a mention in the match against Federer, another young talent coming through there. Probably on the women's side, Ash Barty, Ashley Barty, the Australian number one, looks is looking very strong indeed in 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 the women's side. So we're by next week we'll obviously be looking back, and in fact next week we've got a, a an expert from the tennis world who can give us his reflections on uh, Wimbledon. I noted down one thing, though, the Olympics 100 metres American, Shah Kari Richardson, has been banned for a month uh, for testing positive for cannabis. And whilst there are definitely mitigating circumstances, rules are rules, as they say, um, uh, and that means she won't be competing in the 100 metres in Tokyo. Because of timing, she could possibly... Uh, uh, run in the relay, but she's not going to be in 100 metres, which again might open up opportunities for some of our girls. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and I, I think it's it's difficult to. I think you know when you when you read into that story, you know she was going through a really traumatic personal time. I think it's very difficult. And but she's she's held her hands up and said, you know, uh, yeah, I was wrong to take the substance that I did, but you know, please don't judge me too harshly. Um, you know, she's admitted it. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, hopefully she can come back stronger, better, because she is a great sprinter. I mean, to watch her run, she's absolutely, you know, it's, 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 it's watching, you know, sort of that very fluid style that is great to see in, in a sprinter. You know, some of them are very sort of bolt upright and a little bit jerky in their motions but she just really fluid runner so be great to see her back on the track and hopefully you know once she's through these personal personal tragedy that she suffered at the moment and you know gets back on track literally pardon the pun then you know it'll be good to see her back running again and hopefully she can pick up where she left off yeah um and talking about left off one thing I was talking about last week on Get a Grip was about the Tour de France and why on earth they let people to be so close to the riders, which caused a massive pileup. Fortunately, nobody was seriously injured. They could have been. Uh, and it was a woman with a banner who was showing that to the cameras and wasn't even looking at the riders behind her. Now, interestingly, French being French, they actually uh, lifted the prosecution against her. I have a feeling that might have been because they went on very strong ground because it's not illegal as it stands. 
But you've got an update on that, don't you? I yeah. think they're listening to this podcast. Yeah, well, uh, again, I think we can claim the moral high ground here, if not a, a real victory, that the uh, they must have heard of our get a grip and the Tour de France organisers are getting a grip. They've reviewed the security arrangements for the race and they're actually putting in more barriers to make sure that the crowd stay further back from the riders at some of the key points of the race. So hopefully we shouldn't see that risk again. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think I can't remember which stage it is. It's either this week or next week. They go up and down Vontu twice in a day, you know, not not just once in a day, which is tough enough. Uh, twice in a day they're really trying to uh, kill the riders this year but um, it'll be interesting to see there because that's normally on the big mountain stages where the crowds really close in so it'll be interesting to see what they've done there but I think we can claim yet again that the get a grip section of the null and void show has actually caused someone to get a grip excellent okay well what have you got on this week this week, um, the Get a Grip, I think uh, London Marathon organisers, and there's a story that broke over the weekend. Um, a runner, Jess Wellborn, um, she's twice in the last 12 months run the qualifying time for the championship level race for October's London Marathon. So if you like, there are three tiers in the London Marathon. You have the elite, which is like the Mo Farahs and the absolute top Olympic athletes. You have the mass participation event, which would be the trundlers like you and me when we've done London Marathon before. And in the middle, right at the top end, you've got the championship level, which is for elite um, club runners, the really top end amateur um, runners. Mm -hmm. Jess Wellborn's pregnant and she's asked for a deferral from October to April. So just a six month deferral because this year's race was postponed by COVID. Um, because the race on October the 3rd is only six weeks after her due date. And then all the medical advice from doctors is that really, you know, it should be six to eight weeks that people leave it after giving birth before they start heavy impact sports like running again. London Marathon have refused this, saying that she can either run this race in October, which really isn't an option, or... If she wants to run in April in this championship level race, she's got to run the qualifying time again before December the 31st, having run it twice already this year, or she can have a refund. And it just strikes me as ridiculous that when other sports are really trying to open the doors to mothers, you know, after giving birth, still being able to compete at a very high level. I mean, Tokyo Olympics this year, they're making arrangements at, People will be able to take their children with them, be able to breastfeed. You look at what the England women's football team have done in terms of getting mothers back involved. Cricket in Australia and England, the ECB and the Australian Cricket Association have just started to look at how they can really accommodate and make sure that mothers uh, can come back into elite level sport after giving birth. And here's London Marathon stuck in like the 1900s saying, no, you can't have a deferral for just six months yeah. on this. So absolutely, London Marathon, you're saying that you want more and more women to take part in the marathon and be doing these endurance events. Well, get a grip. You have been told. You have been told. Listen, a couple of quick responses. We seem to have had a lot of people saying how pleased they were with uh, listening to the guest last week. 
that was a sort of across the board, uh, both golf and, and cycling. Uh, Rosemary Conabere said, excellent episode, thoroughly enjoyed uh, the uh, interview with the uh, race cycling man. Wow, she said, is he mad or what? Well, I did remind her that he was from Manchester and she said, yeah, that shows it. Of course, he's a man and a, with a, a big B and the rest of it. Yeah. Um, Hugh Davis Davis, a uh, friend of mine from broadcasting, he said, very entertaining, Tony. Thanks. Brief and to the point, Hugh. Thanks very much. Yeah. Haven't you got something from your mum about my golf? Yes. Um, yeah, we had correspondence. So the last time I heard from my mum about the show, obviously I hear from her regularly anyway, normally saying, why haven't I phoned and checked in? But uh, yeah, the last time I heard from her about the show, she was complaining that we were too short. But no, she was saying that it was really nice to hear someone giving you praise for your golf and telling you how good you were at golf on the show. And I did remind her that that's nice to hear a Callahan complimenting you on your golf because my role in this show is always yeah. to take the mickey out of your golf. Yeah, I, I think people have gathered that by now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, thanks, thanks, mum. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, any any others or uh, is that? Uh, yeah, um, in fact, our man at the Euros, uh, Billy Kerr, had also got in touch after the interview with Lee, and like you, a number of people have said that both guests last week were um, fantastic. But he said that, you know, hearing Lee talking has actually inspired him to get his bike out of storage, dust it off, fix the puncture on it and uh, get back out on his bike. So, uh, yeah, Lee, um, if you are listening, and I know he listens regularly to the show anyway, just to let you know that you're uh, inspiring people with your efforts. So good on you, mate. Good man. No, they were both, they were both excellent. Next up. We've got our first guest. I would describe this chap as a real football man. Dylan Kerr is known to many in football, particularly England and Scotland, but actually through coaching, playing, very experienced across the world, I think it's fair to say. Dylan, welcome to Null and Void. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed here, even though nobody can see me. It's, uh, thank you very much for that. I think you know, it's, just, it's a nice Monday evening to to be uh, greeted like that. But I'm I'm good, and I hope you both are well. As and it's good listening to the intro there. And you know, it's it's it, it sounds interesting what you do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in now uh, when you're broadcasting live. Fantastic. So just tell our listeners um, where you are at the minute, Dylan. I'm currently in Polokwane, which is in uh, Limpopo province. Uh, in in the top end of South Africa, northern South Africa, about four hours, three hours from Johannesburg. Uh, it's winter here, so at night it gets to about twelve degrees, so it's a bit chilly. But in, in during the day, it gets 27, 28 uh, degrees, uh, so it's kind of chilly at the moment. But in the morning and in the afternoon, it's red hot in winter. In winter, that that that's a good summer's day here at the minute in the UK. Dylan yeah. it's uh it's chucking it down here and we're lucky if it hits 12 in the daytime so uh yeah I'm, I'm not feeling too sorry for you there with your winter <laughs> it's cold now because obviously we don't have fireplaces we don't have central eating so it's it when it's cold and it's cold and and in in, in Limpopo now 
we will not see a drop of rain till probably early November uh, when it when, when when the rainy season starts. So uh, we we won't have a cloud in the sky for probably the next four or five months, which is a disaster for my golf because the golf courses have got no water. So basically, I can hit a 450 metre drive if I hit it straight because once it hits the fairway, it just bounces as if it's on concrete. <laughs> I, could, I could deal with some of that at the moment, to be honest, Ellen. Now, can we take you back? Because you were actually born in Malta, Valletta, weren't you? Yeah, my, my dad was in the Navy uh, and he, he married my mum in, in Malta. Uh, but I only stayed there for 18 months, so I was only a baby when I came back. Um, but, you know, I've always, you know, always thought myself a Malteser. But no, I am English. <laughs> Even though, yeah. even though I moved to Scotland in 97 and that's where my house is in Scotland. So, um, you know, I've been <laughs> Malta over to England, up to Scotland, in and out of South Africa a few times and, and now I'm back here. And you, you I mean, I, I looked at the list today, the clubs that you've been associated with, both playing and coaching. That's, that's quite some list. That's quite some list. So you've done a lot of moving about in your life. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's sacrifice. I think um, I've got no wife, I've got no children, so that, that's kind of helped. But um, I think it was brought on by when you know I was 12, 13 years old when I was trying to gain all the top teams as a kid. You know, uh, even though I was doing well in the school football, you know, in, in junior football on a Saturday and a Sunday, I was always in the you know the team that was not the best team, and I was told I wasn't good enough, and I'd never make a footballer, and you know, uh, you know, each time I've, you know, been in football, you know, I've kind of had a lot of knockbacks and a lot of setbacks, uh, and and I've and I've just done what I've always wanted to do since I was five years old. I wanted to play football, and and, and I was fortunate that I was given my chance by Howard Wilkinson when I was sixteen, when I thought all had hope had lost, and and I, I didn't know what I was going to do in, in life, but Howard Wilkinson gave me the opportunity. I mean, that's great that you didn't let that sort of deter you because a lot of people would have sort of given up on that dream then if they were being told. And you think how many young kids come through the football setup and don't make the grade and yet you stuck with it. You have made the grade and played, you know, played at a very good level when you were playing. You know, we'll get on to the coaching, but, you know, sort of you, you were involved in the Reading team that got promoted up to the... Uh, up to the championship and, and, and one promotion there um, from, I guess, was it in those days, the old division three to division two, or had it just become the yeah. championship there? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, for, for young players now, I mean, back in the day, you, you, all you, all you ever did, you, you, you just played football, you know, you, you know, you were out playing, kicking a ball till the sun shined and the, and the, and the lights came on and your mum and dad were shouting for you to come in for your, for your tea. It was that, that's how it were. Like everybody's got an anecdote about that, but that's literally, even even when it was pitch black, as long as we could see the ball, we, we would play football. And you know, you'd have school games. You you'd play Sunday Saturday morning with the school, Saturday afternoon with the junior team, Sunday morning with one team, Sunday afternoon with the next team. You'd play midweek games for the school. So you're always playing football. But now, you know, kids now have you know uh, have been told that they've got to be elite players. They've got to join an academy. They've got to be associated with an academy that's linked to a football club. Um, every every young coach now has got an iPad. 
that uh, they've never played the game, but they've, you know, they've gone and studied and, and, and learned the game, but never played it. And it's, I think it's, you know, looking back at a lot of players over the last three or four years that I know in England who've been in academies that are now in clubs that are trying to be academies or try to give kids a second chance. Um, it's changed from when I did it. And like I said, I, I was lucky, you know, I, I got picked up basically playing for my dad's Sunday pub team. Wow. Uh, and luckily there was a Sheffield Wednesday scout, a very, very old Sheffield Wednesday scout that um, liked my enthusiasm and my energy and, Jack Charlton was the manager at the time. He invited me for a trial and, you know, obviously Jack resigned and went to the Republic of Ireland and Howard came in. And like I said, he, you know, it changed, it changed my life because Howard liked running. Howard was a, a nightmare for fitness and, and I was very, very fit. So, you know, I, I got my first break at 716. First YTS, Youth Training Scheme Apprentice. Town <laughs> government... I think I was the first one to sign in 1984 as a, as a youth training scheme uh, apprentice. So those were the early days. That's and, and like a lot of people, um, you know, certainly from my era, and obviously I'm a lot older than you, but that was how I learned about football every day playing until it got dark. I, I come from Manchester and that's what we did. And there was one big park and you learn. But those were the early days there. But you eventually came because we we're based in Andy and I near Reading, and you were at Reading, as Andy said, during that very successful period. So I'm assuming your manager was Ian Bramford. Is that right? No, it was Mark McGee. And it was Mark McGee, was it? Ah, uh, right. The reason I'd actually I'd been at Leeds for three and a half years, and I couldn't get him. I couldn't knock Tony Dorigo out of his spot. I couldn't get him. Gary Speed was God rest his soul. You were a left back, yeah. Yeah, I was a left back, left midfielder. So my my opposition was uh, at the start of it was uh, Tony Dorigo, then Jim Beglin came, Gary Speed, John uh, John Hendry, David Rowcastle played right and left, Gordon Strachan played right and left. So my my role was very very hard to get into the lead side, but not for the lack of trying. I was always. I was always 14th man. Remember, there's only two substitutes on the bench back mm. in the day. So I was always 14th man, home and away. You know, and and um, I remember Gordon Strachan told me, he said, listen, you need to, you, you're too good to be sat in the reserves playing the odd game here and there. You, you need to go and play. And, you know, when, when uh, my contract was up, I can't remember the coach at the time, the manager yeah, at uh, Huddersfield Town. I'd agreed to join Rosfield Town. And Gordon Strachan called me and said, listen, you know, Mark McGee wants to speak to you at Reading. And obviously they were best big pals at Aberdeen. Mm. And he said, speak to him. And I went down to Reading, saw the facilities. They trained at an amazing place called Coombe Park in Pangbourne. Mm -hmm. You know, Martin, I don't know if you remember, Martin Dean was this big multi-multi-billionaire that's lost, and I think he's worth... <laughs> I think he's worth nothing now, but um, he had this amazing training facility at Coombe Park. And I agreed. I, I said to Mark, yes, I, I'll sign for Reading. Phone Huddersfield. They were, they were raging with me. Um, but before I, I spoke to, um, I actually spoke to 
Billy A, the manager at Blackpool, because I was on loan there for three months. And I asked Billy, you know, Uddersfield or Reading? And, and without even breathing, he just said, sign for Reading. And, yeah. and I did sign for Reading. And my signing on fee was £10,000. Wow. Which was a lot of money in 1993. Mm-hmm. You know, and I went into the bookies <laughs> in, in, on Oxford Road. On Oxford yep. Road. I went to the bookies on it. It was a coral. And we were 33 to 1. And I was like, I, 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 had, I had 10 grand in my bank. And I was like, do I put 10 grand at 33 to 1? And I'm not a gambling man. Um, but that day, I, 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 my head said, don't do it. And I wish I'd not listened to me. I, had, I should have done it. <laughs> and we, we won the league. You know, you I won't say Atlanta, but we knew we were going to win the league from the first game that we played at Uddersfield and we won 3-0 at Uddersfield. So, nice one. well with that team. I, I made yeah, I can imagine that. you not being popular as you got up there uh, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I made well, enough you, you have 89 appearances for Reading. And in 93-94, you were Division 2 PFA player in the, in the player of the year within the team they picked. So that's, yeah. that's not bad, is it? Yeah, me, Quinny, and Eddie Williams got in it, and uh, I say we, we 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 had Sheffield Wednesday with Howard, Leeds United with Howard, Mark McGee at Reading, and Bobby Williamson at Kilmarnock. We we had this. We've always had this happy family. We've we've had, we've had a happy, healthy, and enthusiastic squad of players of of players that are either deemed not good enough for 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 the big leagues, or they they, they were they were ignored by other other clubs. I mean, Mickey Gooding was just, you know, was just a breath of fresh air. Phil Parkinson, Quinny, Quinny was just—you just put the ball in the six-yard box and 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 Quinny would get on the end of it. Stuart Lovell, Scotty Taylor, you know, Eddie Williams, Jeff Hopkins, Simon Osborne. I mean, we 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 had such a good camaraderie. Shaka Hislop, Kevin Dillon, mm-hmm. uh, even Ray Ransom when he came. And and one one of the things I remember when I first came to Reading. We went to a pub in Pangbourne, and it wasn't the George, it was the one round the corner on the river. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. And and we went there on, in an afternoon, and we all put, I think we all put about 40 quid in the kitty. And we we went there straight after training, and we didn't leave until we got thrown out of the pub. And nobody left, nobody left. Everybody stayed, nobody went away. Um, and that kind of set the tone for the beginning of the season. You know, I just, I, you know, um, I just, I just remember that the, the, there was, there was so much talking with nobody separated. Nobody had a group here and a group here. Mm-hmm. Everybody was together. We were on a, one big table and during the day when the sun was out, we all sat on the banks, but then we went into the pub, we had dinner and we just, we all stuck together. And I think that set the tone of that season. So your success at Reading, you obviously went to other places as well, but do you think because of those very good managers you work with, the transition into coaching was easier for you? You'd learnt a lot from them? Yeah, obviously Howard Wilkinson's you know, been, been one of my biggest mentors in this because, again, you know, nobody liked Howard. They didn't like his style of play. They thought he was too direct and too... You know, predictable, but 
again, what he brought into the dressing room, he brought uh, players that, again, were deemed not good enough to play at all the big teams. You know, they, 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 they either come surplus to requirements because of their age. But I would, like Gordon Strachan, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. to get him for, for, for what he did, for peanuts, really, uh, and had three, four glorious years at, at Leeds United. He, he had a knack of, of, of identifying players. And what I took out of that, and, and I put it in my own, uh, what's the word, uh, philosophy, is it's like having a jigsaw. You know, and, and, and if, you, if you've got all the pieces that are right, you know, the, the, everything becomes really, really simple. You know, it's the pieces that are wrong that uh, are the problems. And getting rid of those pieces and bringing new pieces in, they have to fill that, fill that hole without twisting it, turning it upside down, hanging it hard as you can to get in. And that's what I learned from Howard and Mark and uh, Bobby Williamson at Kilmarnock. They, you had a lot of respect for them. You, 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 were, you were fearful of them, but also, also you, you, you liked playing for them. You know, Mark had Colin Lee. I mean, they were chalk and cheese. Mark was very, uh, you know, vociferous. He was very, you know, um, that brazen coach, manager, where Colin was a coach, and a very, very good coach, but he's, he was also very nasty when he, when he, when he had to be. And they, they bounced off each other, same as Howard Wilkinson and Mike Lennigan. Uh, they bounced off each other. Bobby Williamson, Jerry McCabe. You know, they had, and, and that's the thing that, and, I, and I'll go to you later with, with the coaching in South Africa. Yeah. You know, that's what makes players want to play. And, and I've taken that on board. And, and it's worked. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to continue to work, given the opportunity. So you've had a good... Sorry. You, men- you mentioned South Africa there, Mark. And I know that was sort of quite early on, about three, four years into your coaching career how did how did that opportunity come about to first coach in South Africa was it in Mpumalanga in 2009 um, I came back remember when I when I when I blew my chances as a, as a one year I was a one-year professional at Sheffield Wednesday I never played a game and, and I kind of you know I, I probably killed myself because you know back in the day I was a 17 year old I was going out with the human league ABC Evan 17. Tina Turner, you know, I, I, I've had a few drinks with Tina Turner when she came back into the fold after being out of, of music for a long, long time through Heaven 17 when she sang Let's Stay Together. And I was, I was, I was this 17-year-old professional footballer, never kicked a ball in, in, in the league, never made my professional debut, but I was going out with the big boys. I was in London, I was in Leeds, I was in Edinburgh, I was in Sheffield in a night called Josephine's every weekend. I was... I was doing everything a 17-year-old should be doing, but, you know, didn't. I, I was a professional footballer. Mm. And, uh, you know, I left Sheffield Wednesday because of that and ended up in South Africa as, a, as an 18-year-old where I did my first prelim, English prelim licence. They did a course back in the day in, in South Africa through the English FA. And that's when I did my first coaching gig as an 18-year-old when I coached the likes of Lucas Radebe, Phil Massinga, Mark Fish, um, you know, uh, they were in the what they call the Colts team, which is like under 14. So I was, I was coaching them uh, mm. back in the day. And 
I did my A license in 2001. My partner uh, at the time was a guy called, I think he was called Jose Mourinho. Don't, you might have heard him. Don't know if he went on to do anything big in the game, did he? Uh, no, I think, you know, last, last gig I thought, I think it was at Spurs, I think. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I've always wanted to be a coach. And when I, when I did my A licence, me and, me and Josie were kind of partners in, in the group. And, and I failed my first one because I did it too early. And, and it took me four years after that to, to do my, my resit because I was living in America. I was coaching uh, a, a kid's uh, um, academy in, in, in America. And obviously, by the time I came back to Scotland in 2005, when I did my resit, uh, I passed my A licence. And, uh, and, and, and then it went from there. And I worked for the SFA for four years when I got a phone call from a friend who I used to live and play with in South Africa in 1986, seven and eight. And he was ju he just got the head coach's job at Umpumalanga Black Aces in an old South African place called Vitbank. Mm -hmm. And him, um, I came and did two weeks training with him and he asked me to be his assistant. And I stayed in South Africa for two years before I left to go to Vietnam. Vietnam, and why, why there? What happened? What was the contact and connection? Um, well, the, the, my, the, my friend who was from Leeds, uh, who, who was based in Leeds, who was actually from Doncaster, which is just down the road from Mexico, which is like eight miles away. He, um, he was an agent in South Africa, but he was also an agent in Asia. And after, after 18 months in South Africa and, and the politics of football with, with owners and, 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 and directors, um, I, got, I got offered the opportunity to uh, be an academy coach and kind of a technical director for the academy in a place called Na Trang, uh, which is South East uh, Vietnam, down on the coast, which was beautiful. And within a week, I was promoted to assistant coach, to the head coach, because they liked you know, what they saw. And I think it was because the energy and the enthusiasm of, of, of coaching uh, kids, uh, they, they promoted me to the first team. I spent two years with that head coach before he left and I left because we didn't really see eye to eye. He, 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 he was like, the Vietnamese are very hard on players. They're very tough. You know, they would run every day. They would run maybe eight, nine kilometers on the beach and then play on a Saturday. You know, nice. and, and, just, and, and we, we, were, we were losing games because the players were tired and you know, you, you can't tell a Vietnamese person what to do and, you know, he's the boss. And I left and I was in Dubai and I got a phone call from the chairman of the club uh, and he said, look, would you come back? We fired the coach and I flew back to Vietnam and within eight months, I was the first, I think I'm the first Englishman in, in Southeast Asia to win a trophy. Uh, wow. I won the equivalent of the FA Cup. In Vietnam, against like we were like a League Two team beating the Premier League team, uh, the Liverpools and Arsenal's of, of football. And we we won the game two 0 and we won it very very well. So that kind of that was my first job as a head coach. And then you actually spent some time working with the national team in Vietnam as well, didn't you, Dylan? Yeah, the, 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 my former head coach. He got me involved as a fitness coach for the national team. We went to Malaysia for 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 the Southeast Asian Games. 
which is which is kind of like you know the the Carabo Cup or whatever it's called. And uh, we played against Thailand, Laos, Myanmar, uh, Cambodia, uh, Hong Kong, and there was another one I can't remember the other team. Um, and we actually didn't do well again, again because. You know, they, because I stopped the running, you know, they, they every time I stopped, I wouldn't do the running, what the, the regime that they wanted to do because it wasn't working. I mean, the warm-up before a game was like 45 minutes and then 15 minutes less than that. You know, and I say it was a great, don't get me wrong, it was a brilliant experience. But the thing is, the, the first day I arrived in in uh, Malaysia, I got dengue fever. So I was, I was, I was in hospital for a week Um Drip, laying in bed with drips coming out, me left, right, and centre, and you know I think I lost about I think I think I lost three stone in a week because I couldn't yeah, nice. eat, and the sweat was. I don't ever get dengue fever. Stay away from places that have got mosquitoes that have got dengue fever. Yeah, you made you made my mind up, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep well away. Listen, bring us up to date with the situation now because you're doing very well in South Africa. So. You, You've had successes, but even more success now, haven't you? Well, you know, when I, I was in I was in Kenya before, I, I've always wanted to come back uh, to South Africa because yeah. it's a beautiful country. It's, I mean, it's it's full of corruption, but what country isn't? But here, it's it's a beautiful country, South Africa. It's cheap. It's the the food's amazing. The people are amazing, and I've always wanted to come back. And I, I, I'd won back to back titles in, in Kenya. I've been to the uh, the Champions League in, in in Africa. I've been to the Confederations, which is a, the equivalent to the Europa. Got to the group stages and I, I felt I'd done enough uh, at Kenya when I got offered a contract at Black Leopards. I came at Christmas. Uh, they had nine points. They were bottom of the league. And I managed on the last game of the season to keep them in the Premier League, which is the money from Premier League to First Division is is ridiculous. It's like £150,000 a month in the Premier League to £20,000 a month in the First Division. So yeah. there's a massive, massive gap. Mm. So, you know, the chairman brought me in with a mandate to keep them up. I did that. I then left at the end of the season because my mum was dying and... She 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 actually supposed to die like you know three weeks, but she actually landed lasted four months, bless her. And I stayed away for nine months, and then I got offered a chance to come back with Barocca. Same situation, nine points, bottom of the league. Try and keep them in the Premier League again. We did it in the last game of the season, and then I went back to Black Leopards, which was a mistake. And and then I joined this club called Chukuma Chat Madzibandila. Or TTM for me and you, and <laughs> that will do. I prefer that one. Yeah, <laughs> they were again. They were, they were bought with the league with eight points. Um, there's a two, there's a theme coming up here, isn't there? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be labelled Sam Allardyce, but um, the, the South Africans have names for footballers, right? And I've never had a name when I played, and and you know I've not had a name since this club. Uh, anyway, the, the mandate was to keep them in the league. We had eight points. We finished with 31 points. We finished 12th out of 16. And, and to top it on that, we, we won the, the equivalent of the FA Cup, which was called the Nedbank Cup, 
we won that and we beat all the top Premier teams in the league to, to actually get to the final and and we won that. So it was it was an amazing last four months because that's how you know how long I'd been here. And again, you know, that that's the third club I've, I've, I've saved from relegation. I've saved a lot of money for the chairman. Plus, I made him a, an extra wee bonus of seven million rand, which is only three hundred and fifty thousand pounds in England. But compared to yeah. a pint of beer in South Africa, uh, if you drink local, costs fifty p. If you drink posh, it's about one pound twenty. So you can <laughs> imagine the equivalent of the money. So seven million rand is a lot of money. You got yeah. you got Andy's attention now. <laughs> <laughs> it's great when you go, when you go to when you go to the posh. You're paying like 40, 50, 60 rand a beer. You go to the Shabins, you're paying like 15, 20 rand for a litre. Oh, dear, oh dear, dear, oh dear. It's amazing, it's amazing. So you, you, I mean, I said at the start, you're a true footballing man, and that was just looking through what you've been talking about. But you're now even on TV in South Africa. How? So, so you're doing the Euros, aren't you? You're working tomorrow night. Well, I'm not. No, I'm. Uh, I'm not doing. For for some weird reason, I did eight. I did nine games in the uh, playoffs and in the last sixteen. But then, you know, the, for for some weird reason, especially with England being in it, you know, they 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 brought in a couple of Nigerian uh, former players, right. which you can understand because it's it's made for African TV, you know. So, a couple of Ghanaian and and Nigerian players have come in. To Super Sport. The only one that's remained is Dwight York. Right. So, so yeah, so kind of, you know, it's kind of a look at, I was very, very fortunate, you know, and uh, all, all I did was, you know, speak to the producer and say, listen, I, you know, I'd be interested to do the Euros if there's anything going. And, you know, within minutes, he said, would you, would you do Super Sport? And I went, I've never done it before, but yeah, I'll have a go at it. And to be fair, I had a good response and everybody was happy in the studio, technical and the, the director and producer were very, very happy. So I must have been doing something like with this Yorkshire Scottish accent where uh, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't need subtitles. But no, it's been, it's been brilliant just to, you know, just to be, you know, sat like next. I had JJ Akocha, Dwight York and yeah. a couple of South Africans, Gavin Hunt uh, and Stanton Fredericks, who was a former player. Um, there's a guy called Sammy Kafour uh, that was was very very big in in Germany, and and there's, there's I don't know the guy who's come over from uh, Nigeria now, but you know it was good. It was good. It was you know, and I give a I give a a, a, a player coach analysis on 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 things that were 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 easily understood by African people, you know. Um, there's a Mamalodi Sundowns coach called Rulani, great, great energetic coach, but never played the game. But you know, he's very philosophy. He's got philosophies. He's got he's got every quote coming out of his head. And uh, I just said it as I saw it, you know. And 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 I think that's why, you know, I I got on so well that you know I I, I spoke it as a football fan, uh, you know, mm. being a player and and as a coach. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Raheem Sterling's first goal against Germany. You know the the, the move that he made. Uh, I said that that's what 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 England need to do is to, to to try and get at the Germans to 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 suck them in to create space, which 
he did when he passed it to Grealish and Grealish passed it to Luke Shaw. And I said, you've got to watch Luke Shaw's pass because there's only two people in the box, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. Who's the favourite that's going to score this goal? It's Raheem Sterling. And 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 he did. And, and, and they didn't. They saw football then as a different... Uh, they looked at it different. Uh, and that's why, like I said, I kind of know why I'm not on TV now, but, you know, it's. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, guys. I really did enjoy it. Great. Man, I'll tell you what, that's one hell of a career. I mean, that makes it... You should write the book, Dylan. You should write the I'll book. I've started. I've started and I keep getting, you know, sidetracked from it. I think I'm up to the age of 18 when, I, when, I, when I'd just been told I wasn't going to be staying at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but I'll be honest, it's, it's been hard work and, and, and you know, I've, I've lived away from home since 2009. Okay, I've been back for six months, eight months, you know, because I was very, very close to my mum. And the only reason I used to come back to England was to, to, to see my mum. So, but I've had lots of serious injuries that people have told me I'd never come back from. At Reading, I did the splits and I ruptured my hamstring and the doctor said, you know, I'd be very, very lucky if I, if I could walk properly the man uh, returned to football. But again, you know, I've always been told that either uh, you, won't, you won't do this or you'll never do that and uh, you're not good enough. And I've just always wanted to prove people wrong and, uh, and, I, and I'll still keep doing that. I'll still keep doing that because right now, you know, um, I've just left TTM. Uh, my contract was up. I, I only signed the short-term contract. But they've just, again, you know, now they're, they're looking at Spanish, German, Belgian coaches to come over. So obviously, again, it's another one. Oh, you're not good enough to take this team to the next level. Um, and I'll just go on proving them wrong. Well, I'll bet, I'll bet you will, because you've got a damn good record at that, Dylan. I really appreciate you coming on, Melon Void. I'm sure Andy the same. That's a fascinating story. Definitely. Great to hear that, Dylan. Thank you so much. Thank no, you for joining us. And, and actually, because there clearly is more chapters to come, if you can keep us up to date, we'll follow that through. And now we've made the contact, it'd be really nice to hear more from you. No, like I said, guys, thank you for inviting me. Listen, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk for the next three hours. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story of my initiation. Uh, before, have you got time? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I came to Arcadia at eighteen years of age. Didn't know what South Africa was about. Uh, two days before, Sandy Gall uh, was on the news at ten, and there was a big fat guy getting stabbed. I think he got stabbed 87 times on a, on, on a football field in, in, in South Africa. And me and my mum and my dad are watching this and my mum and dad are saying, you're not going. And I went, mum, I'm going. And we went to the airport and I flew over. The guy survived because he was that fat. Not the, 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 the knives did. I mean, he got stabbed by 87 fans. I mean, he got stabbed 87 times and the fans were just running up to him and just knifing him, you know, in the stadium before a game. And anyway, I, I arrived at my first training session and we assigned for a team called Arcadia. And it was mainly a white team with two or three black players uh, in, the, in the squad and one Indian goalkeeper. And they said to me uh, that one of them really old fashioned baths that you know, we used to get in, they said, right, strip off naked, get in that bath and only put your boots on, nothing else. No socks, no pants, no nothing. So I'm, I'm this 18 year old kid in South Africa thinking, what the hell's happening here? Next thing, this guy comes in with three chickens, 
holding them by the neck, and he all put them over the bath and just got this knife out and cut their heads off. So the chickens obviously fell in the bath, and they're running around like you know chickens with no eggs. And I had to <laughs> well, they would. <laughs> I was getting covered. I was getting covered in blood, and they told me I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of that bath, bath until they stopped, and the, the blood had to get on my football boots. You know, because it, it's mooty. It's, it's, they yeah. call it mooty, call it, you know, juju. And, and I said, well, what was this? It brings you good luck. Uh, <laughs> for the chickens? <laughs> no, for the chickens. Oh, by the way, no, the, 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 once, they, once they died, they took the chickens and they took them home and obviously ate them. Yeah. So I was, covered, I was covered in chicken blood. My boots was covered in chicken blood. And, and that's my first training session. You know, and I was like, what? <laughs> Uh, flip. Uh, anyway, we played the quarterfinal in the in 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 the uh, inaugural top eight tournament, which was kind of like a charity shield, but you know, with, with eight teams knockout in the final. We were losing two 0 at half time. We won three two, and I scored the winning two goals. So it worked. It worked. It worked. It, it, uh, Mooty obviously worked. Well, that's that 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 will be a difficult story for any footballer in this country. To to top in terms of initiation uh, 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 ceremony, as it were. So uh, nice one. We'll leave you at this point, Dylan, but definitely yeah. promise to come back and talk to us and update us on your next phase of an amazing career. I will do, and it's great to speak to you. It's great to meet you in person. And listen, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Good Thanks ever so much, Dylan. Take care. Cheers, pal. Thank Good Bye. What an excellent story. What a brilliant, you know, and, and there's going to be the next phase to it, of course, you know, because he's leaving that uh, club and he'll go elsewhere. But that's yeah. a great initiation ceremony, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I you can't say I've had anything like that before, no. No, well, another first for null and void, I think, yeah. <laughs> so how, how do you follow that? As we always say on that, well, we'll have our second guest and actually... Who's coming back to talk to us again, Andy? Uh, it's, our, it's our man at the Euros, um, Billy Carr. He's going to give us an update on what's been happening. Obviously, we've touched on what England have been doing, but we can uh, also get an update on how his predictions have panned out or not panned out. So, uh, Billy, how are you doing? Hey, guys, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? All good, mate. Yeah, all good. Uh, looking forward to chatting football with you. Mm-hmm. So what have you got to tell us, Billy? Oh, well, where do we start? I guess probably at home, maybe. Yeah. May or may not be coming home. Home? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly broke into song, but don't, don't please don't. I won't, I won't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want everyone to hear my voice. Uh, so <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll keep the pipes. So, yeah, start, start with England. What, what about that then? What about it? Um, I mean, how nice has it been? Um, the, obviously, the, we've had the Germany game and the uh, quarterfinal in between. The Germany both, yeah. both very different, weren't they? I'd say like Germany quite very quite tense. Um, mm -hmm. Could have gone sort of either way, um, but I'd, I'd, what was really nice about that was we made a, a couple of really good substitutions that really changed the game and tipped it into our favour, which was excellent and what a day um and then obviously the uh, quarterfinal uh, 
was almost it was a breeze really wasn't it it was it was so relaxing it was it, was, it wasn't <laughs> like watching England at a major tournament at all it was um, an absolute treat no, you, don't, you, you don't watch England with a smile on your face normally yeah. do you I mean you're like tense as to what's going to happen mm -hmm. next but the second half particularly you know they just ran away with it and, and it's like am I watching England is this really England you know and regardless of what Ukraine where or went that was a good performance mm. you can only be what's in front of you and we've done it to obviously bar Scotland um, we've done that to every team that's been put in front of us um, so what can you say it's um, hopefully this is a new England <laughs> and still not conceded a goal yeah still not conceded a goal they look super organized they look well drilled Gareth keeps making these tiny little tweaks between each game and I've, they've all worked, I would say. The only thing, the only thing I'd say that hasn't worked is the couple of substitutions he made against Scotland that didn't really change the game. And then you look back now and you're like, well, actually, was that a really good point? Did we actually need to chase the game at the expense of potentially losing it and whatever? Um, so, you know. Einstein, as they say, is a very exact science. So England have progressed. What about your dark horses? They're very dark now because they're not in it. It has all gone very dark, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> what, I, what I would say is we're at the, we're at the semi-finals now. You, I wouldn't say there's any dark horses left in it. I mean, Denmark maybe you're looking at like, mm, but they're, they're in the top 10 in the world in the rankings. So how, how dark a horse is that? And, you know, they were, they Czech Republic had a go against them, so I'm not I'm not too sour about how the uh, about how the predictions went. No, but, but, but the, uh, forgive, forgive us for reminding you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. You've been quite gentle with me there. I uh, I felt I felt like there was going to be a little bit more than that coming, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not too sour. Well, about how it went. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, carry on, go on. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I was going to say is. Seeing we talked about England, what about on Wednesday the team they're playing, Denmark? Because they're, they're no mugs. Uh, they're a big physical team. They're well organised, and they've got players that can score goals. Should we, rather than saying, "Oh, we're in the semis, we'll get to the final," it's all at Wembley, isn't that convenient? There's a lot more, lot more to it, isn't there? Uh, for me, it actually feels a lot like the uh, World Cup game in 2018, which we eventually lost to Croatia. You're sort of looking at it thinking it is a team we should beat potentially, but I'm so 50-50 on this one, like I was with the Croatia game. Um, like you say, Denmark super strong. Um, they're playing like they've, they've got something to play for. Obviously, like horrible what happened to Christian Eriksen and so on, but it's given them this purpose and they're really sort of playing well off the back of it. Like the first two games, understandably so, they, they didn't look so great, but they've sort of grown into the tournament and it is like they're playing with a purpose. They've, they've uh, almost sort of ridden that wave of emotion all the way through, haven't they? Exactly, and it has sort of worked for them. Also, um, they beat us at Wembley um, in the Nations League. Um, I mean, we did lose Harry Maguire uh, to a red card in the first half in that game. Um, so, you know... I think also this is a different England team since then as well. Um, they, at least they seem to be. So fingers crossed. But I, I am very, very 
50-50 on, on this game and how it's going to go. Just because just I think the occasion as well, it's, it's one of those things sometimes in football, especially like when you get to the last stage of a tournament, it, it could just be the flip of a coin and who takes their chance. Um, and, you know, hopefully it'll be us, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, cumulatively, uh, um, in a tournament, what you want to be happening with the team is happening. In other words, they're getting stronger. They, even if you listen to what the players are saying, it's the same ethos, which is, yes, we're in the semi-final, but we need to get through. We've done that before. We need to get to a final. So it's a very sensible approach. And I, the feeling is they're getting more and more confident. And therefore, if you can, you can bring that onto the pitch on Wednesday night, then that's going to be you know, that's going to see progress from England. Obviously, Denmark are all the things we've said, but that gives England probably, probably, just in my head anyway, the edge, if they can bring that onto the pitch. We've, we've very much been sort of onto the next, onto the next, haven't we, throughout the tournament? Yes. They all seem really calm about it. Like, I love that about them. They, there's no, like doesn't seem to be any real nerves. The only sign of nerves I've seen in this team was the first sort of 10 minutes against Germany. Um, Bryson Phillips got a little bit out of position a couple of times and there was a couple of little nervy moments and that was the only time I can recall in this tournament where I've been like, uh-oh, not sure about this. Everything else has been like absolutely fine. They've, they've just been so, so organised, so calm. It's been an absolute joy to watch. And, you know, whatever... Whatever team selection comes through on Wednesday, I am not going to question it in any way because he's been right every single time so far. <laughs> and whatever he's got planned, I've got full confidence in him. So, but also we've we've been there before now. We've we've done we've done the semi final of a major tournament. A lot of this team were there. They they would have learnt from that. Um, we did the semi finals of the Nations League as well, um, and we actually went one better because we won the third place playoff in that tournament. So. Technically speaking, one more step and we're in the final. So, you know. And a number of these youngsters that are coming through now, Bill, have all, were also members of, was it that under 19, under 20 World Cup winning team a couple of years ago? There's there's three or four of them in the squad. So, again, they've got the experience of winning a big tournament at that level whilst also having the benefit, I guess, of that sort of the fearlessness of youth, that they've not been there before and all the times that England have thrown it away, blown it away. They've, oh, you know, they've yeah. not been there and sort of uh, had those scars to uh, to deal with. Yeah, like it's, it, the way it's been going, it's all starting to look a lot less like an accident, isn't it? Um, it all seems to be like a little bit of a master plan that's all coming together. Um, I do think that maybe like Gareth ending up in the job was a bit of a happy accident. Obviously, Sam had one game, got caught out in that little sting, and then it was very much like an appointment of, okay, we need something now. Um, but obviously, he was the under-21s manager, and he's managed a lot of these players for years now, years and years. Um, so it does, it does sort of feel like the plan is coming together. Um, can, I give, can I give you a, a random fact, Billy, that since 1998, the coverage of the England games between ITV and BBC, in terms of 
when they covered England, ITV only five times of England won, BBC 17. Guess which channel on Wednesday night they're on. Oh, I think I know the answer. Deep, deep and meaningful stuff from this side of the border. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the sort of thing that people throw into the mix and you think, oh no, that's mm. a wobbly one, you know. But it, it's just a fact. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. ITV have got I, it. I had seen a stat like that going around before and I was going to look up which it's on. And now you've told me, it does fill me with a little bit more dread, I have to say. Uh, it's just one of, the, one of those random yeah. things. But, but moving on this, this team is, what is though, like they're, they're not scared of things like that. I think a previous England incarnation may have looked at that mm -hmm. and worried. Yeah. I don't think anything can phase these guys. So, I mean, my, my one concern is if we do make the final, I'll be watching England in the final of the Euros in a pub in Scotland where I know that irrespective of who wins tomorrow night, whether it's Italy or Spain, and I know we'll move on to those in a second, but I know that all those Scots fans in the pub will be Italian or Spanish for the evening and supporting them. I think I'll be the lone voice in a pub in a small town just outside Inverness cheering on England. So, uh, yeah, uh, if, if I'm not here next week, Tony, you know what <laughs> happened. <laughs> Yeah, my former broadcasting partner, yeah. <laughs> and they don't yeah. envy you that. Are you sure they're going to have it on? That's... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, move, moving on to the Italy-Spain for tomorrow night, Tuesday night. What, what, that looks, to, to, to my eyes anyway, Italy are so strong. Spain are very unpredictable. Um, but I would say... I would favour Italy strongly. Are you going with that or do you feel something strange is going to happen? I do favour Italy. I think you're right. They're extremely solid. Um, even though we've not conceded a goal, you could argue they're the better defensive side left in the competition. Um, and Spain have conceded some weird goals. Um, mm particularly in the knockout stages as well. It's like little lapses of concentration. Um, and, and I think Italy only need one. Um, and that could be enough. Uh, so I do see it going that I, I've got the scales towards Italy. Um, mm. However, as I said about the uh, England game as well, it's moments now. Uh, and someone might take one, someone might not take one. I mean, like going back to the Germany game, if Thomas Muller takes that chance, puts it away, 1-1, everything is completely different. Uh, and thank, mm. thankfully he doesn't take it. But it's, it's moments like that that will get you into a final. And yeah, although the scales for me are in Italy's direction, I, 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 can't, I, I don't want to make any more predictions at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you talk about weird goals uh, and Spain did concede... <coughs> If you remember that 45-yard pass back to the Spanish goalkeeper, who for some reason forgot to get in the way of the ball, and it ended in the back of the net. That was a, I, I, if I was the player that passed it back, I know that's now going to go down as an own goal from me. I'd be so happy with my keeper. You know, <laughs> it was one of the funniest moments, uh, um, you know, in in the tournament so far. Uh, 
equally the Scottish goalkeeper when he was lobbed from 45 yards and him scrambling back and getting caught up in the netting will stay in my mind for quite a long time. I wonder if they fixed that net yet. That was hanging off after after it happened. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said to Tony, um, having in one of the previous shows, he was the only player to hit the net for Scotland in the whole tournament. <laughs> uh, I hope no one in that pub's um, listening to this right now. <laughs> You're for it. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll be gone, mate. So, I mean, were there any other funnier moments? I wrote those down as two funny moments in the tournament so far for you, Billy. Any other funny moments? Oh, interesting. Um, I'm not sure I can really think of anything now. I mean, the football in the knockout stages has been so exciting. Yeah. Um, like... Something like the late goals, the the drama of things going to extra time. I was having this conversation the other day. It's like, is football just generally getting better? Like, is it getting more dramatic? All of that. I don't remember previous tournaments being like this, and there being as many goals. And um, yeah, like, there was two in one day where they needed two goals in the last ten minutes to get to extra time at one point. And you're just like, what's going on? Like, this is crazy. Um, I, I think. I think an outside, a, a, another influence has been the speed of decisions by the officials mm. and the speed of the use of VAR, because that keeps the drama going if it's done quickly, whereas the criticism in the premiership is very often, that's too long. You can't mm. spend four minutes looking at, is it offside or not? You know, if you've got lines, that should give you a clue. Make a decision. Get on with it. As we would say on Null and Void, get a, get a grip. grip. I mean, we, we, we've suffered from that probably in rugby where they do tend to mm. keep going back and it's almost, you know, check, check that he's not got any points on his driving license and that yeah. he, uh, he passed his 11 plus <laughs> before you can give the trial or not. Um, and it does seem to take longer and longer and longer. Whereas I think in rugby league, they've really got it sussed. In NFL, they've got it well done as well. And, cricket. you know, cricket, it's it's pretty much there, although, um, you know, so, some of the uh, some of the changes in the game there and, the, you know, sort of the the no ball line technology, I think, is a uh, as maybe sort of, you know, started to to come into that as an element as well. But overall, I think they've got it sus, but it seems to be rugby and football are the two that up till now hadn't. And this tournament, yeah, football. Um, you know the Euros. I think the referees, the VAR officials, they've got it. They've they've got it really well. No, I think you're I right. heard, Sorry, I heard today that in tennis it's already happening, where the lines people are no longer used. It's all done by computer, and the computer actually says out, and there isn't any discussion between umpire and you know, out, and that's it, and it moves the thing on. So. Yeah. You know, you're going to see more and more developments like that where you take out some of these people from the loop and therefore the decision-making process is quicker, which has to be right for the spectators, doesn't it? That would have robbed us of the iconic... Um, it wouldn't have been the same John McEnroe arguing with a computer. Well, that's where it all started from, isn't it? You know, I bet you would have still argued with it, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's one for you, Billy. Best goal so far. Oh, well, for me, we've already mentioned it. Um, I think uh, Sheik's goal against Scotland, um, for me, wins it just because just because of the technique on it. Like, 
it's one thing to have the ball coming towards you and kick it back where it came from. We've seen that a few times, I think, when Rooney scored the goal similar to it, where the ball's been coming towards him. Um, yeah. But to be running towards the goal, have the ball sort of coming from the side, from the side, but slightly behind you, and then to wrap his foot around it the way he did. Like where he set it out, it was probably halfway between the corner flag and the post. And it's mm. around, gone pretty, like almost in the top corner. So was, the technique on that is just unbelievable. Um, and for me, it, it's my favourite goal. Um, not because it was against Scotland, but that obviously helped. I, again, I, I'm not saying anything further. I mean, I, rem I remember seeing <laughs> Jeff Thomas, the former Crystal Palace player, and one of the sort of, I guess, the, uh, the cloggers in the Graham Taylor era, um, try something similar on debut at Wembley against France. Um, and unlike the uh, Czech Republic player where it ended up in the back of the net, this one from Thomas went out for a throw-in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would have said that close to that, and I agree with you, that's, that's probably the best, uh, is Pogba's goal for France. You know, similar thing of, setting the ball up yeah. and totally and utterly hitting it exactly because he's capable of doing that that's the annoying thing about him yeah he he's capable of doing exactly that and and his sort of Cantona you know look mm -hmm. at me aren't I wonderful that's typical of Pogba but that was one hell of a goal <laughs> it was one hell of a goal the only, that, that goal loses points because of what happened afterwards unfortunately yeah uh, no, it does <laughs> because, but that is so French which is We've come back. We're now in charge. That goal wins the game. I don't need to do anything else. And he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. In fact, he caused the winning goal. But there you go. So, Billy's uh, tips look silly all of a sudden. Um, when I thought I was cruising with 10 minutes left. But there we go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly exactly that. So any, any final thoughts, Billy, in terms of what we're going to expect? I mean, what about why not Denmark versus Spain final? We don't want to think like that, but no. what if it was that? What if it was Denmark, Spain? I can totally see it. Like, it's not out of the question by any means. I don't think anything's out of the question now. If you were to blindfold me, cover my ears and all that for the next three days and then woke me up and said the final is this and this, I wouldn't be surprised at any combination of the four teams. I'd, I'd believe you either way um i think there there's there's a definite slight tilt of the scales towards italy and uh, you you would say a slight tilt in the scales towards england as well i don't want to say too much because i don't want to jinx anything but you would say it's slightly tilted that way but yeah. they're so they're, they're they're both pretty evenly matched i'd say and it, it could it could definitely go either way but you know we we, we live in hope right <laughs> well and, and the good thing about because he's got a bet on Italy. He has, I know. How's he going to feel if it's Italy-England in the final? I've won, I've won either way. A bit like you yeah. um, with your bet on the Premiership final of both teams score 20 and Exeter win. <laughs> and I, I was there when Harlequins got to 20 points. And you said, either way, I've won here now because either I win money or Quinns win the Premiership. And I'll be a bit the same. I mean, obviously, I want England to win. But uh, if it is Italy, England, and England can't win, then at least the uh, the, the money goes in my back pocket. Um, although that will probably then uh, be uh, 
buying around in the pub in Inverness to try and buy my way out of the pub alive for having cheered on England. So what 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 were the odds and what what did you put on it? Uh, I had fifteen quid at seven to one. Not bad. What I'll say from experience is that the winning is way better than the money. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I'll leave Still, you with that. <laughs> with that thought, good good man, yeah. Billy. Good to hear from you again. Cheers, Paul. Thanks ever so much, mate. And uh, we'll see. The good thing about recording it um, on a Monday is this goes live on Thursday. And by that stage, everyone will be able to look back and see how on the money or not we all were with our predictions. So, uh, yeah, thanks ever so much for your input through the Euros, mate, and for being our man at the Euros. And uh, I'm sure as the Premier League kicks off in the autumn, we can get you back in to talk about that from a fan's perspective as well. Brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. Absolutely loved it. Good man, Billy. See you later. See you later. And so, yep, I think we can uh, safely say that some of the predictions there weren't quite on track for the Euros, but uh, obviously looking forward to how this week will play out with England against Denmark on Wednesday and then my bet for the tournament, which was Italy, playing against Spain on Tuesday night. So we'll what, see. What was, what was your bet, Andy, before? I managed to get Italy at 7-1 to one before the tournament started. So, uh, yeah, 15 quid on them there. So we'll see how that plays out. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. If England make the final and Italy make the final, I've won either way. Because either I, I win some money or England win the, uh, win the tournament. All right. Well, that's brilliant. And, and again, we're so lucky with the input and the guests we get. Uh, fascinating from Dylan Clare tonight. Uh, I, I read some of the background, but for him to tell the story in the way he did, I thought it was excellent. As he said, Scottish Yorkshire accent. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as ever at this point, we're saying we're bringing this episode to a close. If you want to get in contact with us, comment on any of the stories you've heard or any other input, we really do enjoy getting that, that contact. And the contact details come at the end of the podcast as normal. And I always do say, you're going to be listening to this at a time and a place that suits you. That's the beauty of podcasts. And that's the beauty of Null and Void. We'll, and, we will be with you next week. And okay. likewise, folks, give us a, a rate, a subscribe and a review on whichever of the apps it is you use to download. Um, any reviews there greatly re received. So, um, yeah, apart from that, obviously, remember, like we always say, remember that sport isn't a matter of life and death. It's much more important than that. And uh, we'll speak to you again next week. See you later. Cheerio. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on N and V at forthenow.co.uk.